0: Good morning. Welcome to Park Church. We are glad that you are here with us. If you don't know me, my name is Matt. I am one of the pastors here on staff, and really, it's my privilege to be able to speak with you um, this morning. If you're if you're new, or if you are recently new, or just haven't been around that much this fall, I want to get you caught up on kind of where we've been this fall. We're in the middle right now of this series called "In All the Wrong Places," and It occurred to me that not everyone might not know where that comes from. Does everyone know where that phrase comes from? Famous country song, right? Looking for love in all the wrong places. It's by the guy with the hat and the boots and he's got a lasso. (laughs) I I don't know, it's Johnny Lee, urban cowboy, I don't know. Um, Looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces, searching their eyes, looking for traces of what I'm longing for, hoping to find a friend and a lover, no? I bless the day I discover another heart <laughs> looking for love. Um, the idea behind the series is not all that stuff. The idea behind this series is that we as people, we look for love and we look for life and we look for hope and for joy and for peace and for meaning. You might want to say we look for salvation. That's kind of what our life is all about, looking for these things. And what tends to happen is that we look in all the wrong places, all the while, there's one right place to look. And it's accessible to us, and it's given to us, but we don't look there, we look in the wrong places. And this is the history, the story of humanity. And the way that this is talked about in like the Bible is with the word idolatry. Uh, The wrong places are the idols that we look to. Now, when you hear the word idols, you might think of American Idol. And that's actually pretty reasonable, right? You put these people on stage in order to worship them. Um, You might think of, you know, the little statues from Bible days, right? Where, you know, they would worship them. Or Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? That first scene with the golden idol in the sandbag and Indiana Jones is doing his thing, right? Um, Those were little idols, and the reason that people worshipped these idols was because they believed that there was a power behind these idols. Where if they gave to the idols their worship, if they gave them their hearts, if they gave them their minds, if they gave them their attention, then the power behind these idols would give them what they needed. Whether it was fertility or um, a good harvest or power, whatever it was. And that's the way that idols worked in those days. Today, we don't have little statues like this that we worship, um, but they're more idols of our hearts, idols of our mind. And they have them back then too, but we have them today. The things we give our hearts to, the things we give our minds to, and our time and our attention and and our creativity, the things that we give ourselves to expecting to get something back from them. And what's so difficult, what's so hard about idols is that these things idols have a tendency to shape us they have a tendency to make us what we are and the thing is they shape us in all of the wrong ways and they set our our minds on all the wrong thoughts and they put our eyes in all the wrong directions and they twist our hearts in all the wrong turns And they set our feet on all the wrong paths so that we end up in all of the wrong places and we become all of the wrong people. What we want to do with this series is quite simply get us back to what the right place is. To get us back oriented towards the right place. So the last two weeks we've looked at these two kind of big idols. Last week it was the idol of comfort. This idea we have in our culture that all life is is about being happy. And if you can find that, you'll be good. And what we find is that is just, um, it's not going to last. It's not going to work. It's going to collapse on itself. The week before that, we looked at the idol of affirmation, the idol of approval. That if other people like us, if other people like me, approve of what I am, then that's okay. And all the while, that ignores the fact that God likes you, right? Todd talked about that in the God likes you, all right, so that's ignoring that. Today, we're going to look at an idol that is, it's really so ingrained in us, it's almost hard to like, pick out immediately. And it's the idol of security. Now, when you hear the word security, your brain might go to, um, you know, security cameras and ADT and whatnot, and that's, that's right. If you're a finance person, it might go to the Securities and Exchange. They have a commission. Any Arrested Development fans out there, they have boats also. Um, You might not know anything about security, but you might know a lot about insecurity. And you might think, oh, this guy might have something to say to me about insecurity, and I might. Um, But when it comes to security, look, I... I like things simple. I'm not the brightest uh, knife in the drawer, right? And I need things to be kind of simple, kind of memorable. I need to get them. And so what I've done for you this morning is I've boiled security, the idea of security. I boiled it down to, its, to really its lowest common denominator. It's just this, was, this is what it is. It's this statement. If blank, then I'll be OK. If Fill in the blank. You all have blanks. If I have the job that makes enough money, then I'll be okay. If um, if I can get that person to love me, then I'll be okay. If if I have enough money in the bank, if my 401k is okay, then I'll be okay. And how we fill in the blank it changes throughout the course of our lives. When I was a little boy, um, you know, 140 West End Avenue, 1986. I'm five years old. I was a kid who was afraid. I was a scared kid when I was a little boy. I wasn't afraid of the dark, but I was afraid of nightmares. I was afraid of nightmares, and I used to have this recurring nightmare. We, ended, we lived on the end of this very long street, and I would have this recurring nightmare that this series of monsters, five or six of them, would be at the end of the street, and they would slowly walk down the street. And with every step they took, you heard this... And it got louder and it got more intense as walking down the street. And in the nightmare, um, me and my family and my neighbors and all these people would be hanging out in front of the house. And I would be seeing these, these monsters walk down the street. And I would be getting more and more afraid. And I would be looking up to my mom, looking up to my dad. Therapist, talk to me later. And I, would, and I would be thinking to myself, why is no one going to save me? What, like, what's happening here? I would be terrified and I'd wake up, and I wouldn't be able to go back to sleep, or worse, I wouldn't even want to go to sleep. I would be so afraid. I was the kid who slept with my sheets over my head because I, I was just afraid of everything. But if my mom was in the room, then I'll be okay. If my mom was in the room, then I would be okay. And what she would do is she would sit in the corner of my room with a book reading, and then I would be okay. Look, if these monsters actually came and attacked us, I don't know what my mom would do. She's not, she's not that strong of a person. Um, but if she was there, then I'll be okay. And uh, you can substitute that um, childish nightmare fear for the things that we go through today. And it's the very same thing. If I have enough stuff, then I'll be, then I'll be okay. If, if my husband doesn't cheat on me again, then I'll be okay. If, if my son doesn't pick up the bottle Then I'll be okay. If I have my health, then I'll be okay. If my kids are okay, then then I'll be okay. I wonder this morning how do you fill in this blank? The thing about it is the if blank, they're not bad. They're not bad things, they're good things. You should want your health, you should have some savings. Um, Your husband shouldn't cheat on you again, or your wife shouldn't cheat on you. Again, these are good things. But the problem is, and this is what idols do to us, we tend to fill in the blank and we put so much trust in that blank that we build our lives off of that blank. If you want to remember it, we bank on the blank. And that's a little cheesy, right? But you're going to remember it now, right? And the problem is what happens is that we bank on these. We build our lives on this foundation of however however we fill in the blank. And we don't know, we don't pay attention to how that, that idol, how it shapes us, how it robs us, how it steals life from us, how it puts us into a prison maybe, how it sets us off course so that we need help and we need help. What do we do? The good news is that Jesus helps us. Jesus talks about this idea. He talks about it a lot. And so we're going to look at one interaction that Jesus has with a bunch of people in the Gospel of Luke. Um, The New Testament is the second half of the Bible. It's the part that's directly about Jesus' life and whatnot. There are four books that open the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are the books that are about um, Jesus' birth and his life and his teaching and his death and his resurrection. In the Gospel of Luke, there's this interaction um, that really sheds all sorts of light on on this idea, on this idol. So it starts, Jesus is teaching a crowd of people And someone in the crowd said to him, kind of interrupts him, teacher, that's Jesus, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And, uh, you know, this guy's got some nerve on him. He's kind of interrupting Jesus here. Um, Teacher, do what I tell you to do, right? Not not always the best thing to say, but this is what he says. Um, He's pretty courageous. The scenario is that this... This guy, he's a younger brother. There could be one brother. There could be a bunch of brothers. But he's a younger brother. His father probably just died. They have a big family inheritance. And the older brother is holding on to most of the inheritance. And so he says, Jesus is a guy who knows how to get things done. He could tell people what to do. So he wants Jesus to tell his brother to give him his his share of the inheritance. That's kind of the scenario here. So Jesus says to him, friend. Friend. And when Jesus says friend, it's good news because he actually does love you. He actually is compassionate. He knows the situation you're in. But when he says friend, it's because something he's going to lay something on you. And the thing about Jesus is that Jesus, he's never met this guy. But he knows this guy. He knows what's on his heart. He knows what's on his mind. He knows how he fills in the blank. He knows his idol probably even better than he does, Right? And in the hands of anyone else, that knowledge would be terrifying. But in the hands of Jesus, that is supremely good news because what Jesus does is he frees people. And here's the thing for you. Jesus knows how you fill in the blank. He's known it before you ever thought about it. He knows what your idol is. So there's no point in hiding it from him because he knows. And what he wants to do is he wants to free you from it. So Jesus says, friend, who, uh, who sent me to be a judge or an arbitrator over you? And that's a weird thing to say because Jesus is kind of a good judge, Right? Kind of God in the God in flesh, He kind of knows the difference between good and evil, um, separated light and darkness, heaven and earth. Jesus is the actually, you know, the irony here is Jesus is the only one who is the arbitrator and judge over them. But what Jesus is saying here is, I didn't come to settle the the petty squabbles between two brothers. I came to settle something much much more significant. Who sent me to be a judge over you two? And then Jesus turns to the crowd. He turns to the crowd and says, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He's saying, take care, look out, don't be stupid, don't be ignorant about what's happening here, about what greed can do for you. One's life, read that, one's security does not consist in the abundance of what you have in the abundance of possessions. You see what Jesus is saying here? I mean, what this guy is saying is, if I have enough, if I have enough stuff, if I have enough of the inheritance, then I'll be okay. And Jesus says, be careful about that assumption. Because what seems like it's solid, it might not be as solid as you think. What seems like you can find life and security There, might not be the life and the security that you're looking for, so look out. It doesn't equate to that, it equates to something else. The guy's assumption is wrong for at least two reasons, and Jesus tells um, what's called a parable in order to explain what those reasons are. And so Jesus, he, he begins in a parable. A parable, if you don't know, is kind of a simple story that's meant to convey layers and layers of meaning. So um, it's more complex than just one teaching. It's the kind of thing you have to go home and chew on and say, gosh, is that what, is that what he meant? Gosh, what else is there? Is that what he meant? Oh, he meant this. He also meant that. That's what a parable is. And so this is, this is the parable that Jesus tells. He says, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. And the man, he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. You got it, right? This guy has a lot. Um, In those days, barns were used to store food, right? And he didn't have big enough barns, so he wanted to make bigger barns. Makes sense. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And the thing about this story, this sounds great. This sounds like wealth management's dream, right? Your ship came in, let's let's take care of this so that you're good for the rest of your life. And that makes sense to us, right? No problems there. But let's look a little deeper into this story. Jesus starts up by saying, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. And uh, what we notice there is that first, this guy already is rich. He already has what he needs. He already has more than what he needs. And if you know Jesus at all, you know he's going to say something about sharing it with other people who don't have it, right? You don't need to know much about Jesus to know that's what Jesus is all about. This guy, this guy wants none of that. And it's because, it's because he doesn't recognize where the abundance came from. It would be different if Jesus started the story, um, a rich man worked hard and produced abundantly on his field, right? On his land. That's not what it says though. The land produced abundantly, right? Which means, he's a farmer. The first year, he does the work. He tills the soil, he plants the things, miracle grow, water, whatever it is, and he gets the crop. And then year two, same work, same crop. Year three, same work, same crop. Year eight, year nine, year 15, 16, same work, uh, same crop. But year 17, same work, different crop. And what can you attribute that to? Yes, the man was faithful in his working, but this is a gift of the land. It's a gift, it's a gift of God. But he doesn't think to share this gift of God. He thinks what? He has to store this all for himself because he wants to relax. He wants to eat and drink and be merry. What this guy is saying here is if I have ample goods stored up for many years, then I'll be okay. That's that's where this man is going. His fill in the blank is um, ample goods. That's, That's where he finds security because if if famine comes, if next year's crop is bad, if you break your leg, whatever it is, then I'll have enough. And here's the thing, you can substitute your fill in the blank for ample goods. And you know the story will change a little bit, but the result will be the same. It's the same, it's the same idea. But I want you to notice what's the work that this idol does on him. How does this idol shape him and make him the wrong person? The first thing to notice is that it makes him completely and totally self centered. It makes him completely selfish. It makes him self reliant, right? And this makes sense. If I do this, then I will be okay. And so I set my mind on getting this thing, and then I will be okay. It makes you selfish. And look, it's It is reflected in the language, right? I, I, my, I, I, my, I, my, my soul. I didn't even put in the himself where he's talking to himself, right? This guy has become completely self-centered. Finding your security in your fill-in-the-blank will make you more self-centered, not less. And if you're a Jesus follower, you know that that's the very opposite of what you were meant to be right? And even if you're not a Jesus follower, you might have an inkling that, yeah, that, that actually isn't the kind of life that I should be living. That's the first thing. It makes you more self-centered. The second thing it does, and we kind of read it from this, until you have ample goods laid up, relax, eat, drink, eat, drink, and be merry. This guy can't relax. This guy can't be merry. He can't be happy until he has this stuff. So until he gets enough, he will be unrelaxed. He will be anxious right? He will be fearful. He will be worried. The bottom line with this idol is um, seeking security in your blank leaves you more worried, more anxious. We reach out to these things to find security. And because we are always reaching, because there is never enough, all we actually find is insecurity. And so the very thing we reach out to to find security for life, we find uh, more insecurity for life. And the third thing, the third thing here, notice what doesn't appear in this parable. What doesn't appear is anyone else. This guy is completely alone. You've seen Castaway, right? Tom (laughs) Hanks on the volleyball. That's this guy. He's completely alone. And the bottom line is, when you set your mind on getting the thing that will make you uh, okay, it will absolutely isolate you. He has no one to go through this with. He has no one to talk to, to bounce ideas off his head. He has no one to share the extravagance of this gift with. And so what he is, is completely and totally alone. And so you know why Jesus says, look out for this stuff. It will leave you self-centered. It will leave you more insecure, and it will leave you totally alone. Banking on the blank. It is not good for you. But Jesus isn't done with this parable. He continues, he says, but God said to him, you fool, and that from God is very bad. (laughs) You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you and the things you prepared, whose will they be? You're all alone, you have no one to share this with, and this night your life is being demanded of you, whose will these things be? Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying absolutely nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is guaranteed, and things will fail you. He's saying people will fail you. Your your spouse will fail you. Your friends will fail you. Your parents are going to fail you. Your kids will fail you. People will fail you. He is saying your work, what you put your heart into, what you put your energy and your efforts into, it will eventually fail you. The stuff that you accumulate, the stuff you acquire, it will eventually fail you. Even things that you can count on up until this day, your health, it will fail you. Everything will fail you. But as if if all of that is not bad enough, it's worse than that, right? Because for this guy, it wasn't his fill in the blank that failed him. The barn's full of stuff, the food, that worked for him. What failed him was himself. His, his health, his, he was going to die on that day. And if you fill in the blank, if you trust in yourself to be okay, you will fail you. That's, that's a certainty. That's how um, this works. You will fail you. What this parable tells us, it is so clear. It is pure foolishness in the words of God to look for love, for life, for security in these wrong places. It makes you the wrong person. And it will not last anyway. And so Jesus wraps it all up. He says, "So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. So it is for anyone who seeks um, to be being okay in the blank, but doesn't seek that in God." And the question is, if it's so foolish, if it is so certain to fail and if God is so certain to succeed and to be reliable then why do we do it why do we build on this poor foundation why do we bank on the blank and the answer is because we're afraid we're afraid we're we're all little kids with the cover over our head we're afraid that's the bottom line Um, Not to go too dark too quick on you, but I'm going to go dark really quick on you. So um, the fear is the fear of death. The power behind all idolatry, but especially this one, is the fear of death. Because when I'm a little boy in my bed, afraid of monsters, what I am afraid of is them getting me and I don't know what getting me means. Eating me? Killing me? Something? I don't know. But I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I won't be okay. I'm afraid that I'll die, right? This guy in this story, why is he afraid? He's afraid if he breaks his leg, if the crop doesn't come in next year, he won't have enough, and he will literally starve to death. The fear of little D dying, it drives so much of this. But really, it's the fear of big D death that gets us. And when I say big D death, I mean um, existential death, spiritual death. Here's what I mean by big D death. If, uh, if this is the statement, right? Along with it comes this statement. If not, then I won't be okay. If blank, then I'll be okay. If not, then I won't. And not being okay, that's big D death. And here's what I mean by that. I mean a life that feels more like you're living a death than a life. I mean a life that feels um, more like you're living a nightmare then it feels like you're living actual life. A life that is stripped away of things like joy and hope and love and relationships and purpose and meaning. That's what life is. Um, a life where we are alienated, where we are separated not only from God and not only from one another, and not only from meaning, but we're actually separated from what we were created to be. That's what I mean by um, big D death. This is the fear that drives, this is the fear that drives all of this. At the bottom of every idolatry, the motivating factor between all of them is that we're afraid, we're afraid of that. And so what do we do? We play right into its hands. We stretch out our arms to these idols looking for life. All the while, we are actually reaching out into the thing that can only give us death. That's the way every single idol works. We reach out for idols of security to fill in the blank in search of life. And unknowingly, we are actually reaching out to that which destroys us. This is what makes idolatry, looking for love, life, happiness, joy in all the wrong places. This is what makes it um, literally deadly. But we are still human, right? And we need security. It's hard for us to live our lives not knowing, not expecting anything for tomorrow. We need security. We know we can't look in the wrong places. We've seen what that does to us. But the question is then, what is the right place? And that's the question that matters. That's why you're here. What is the right place? And the good news is, you don't have to listen to what I think about it. Um, You have to listen to me talk. But you don't have to listen to me uh, or, or my ideas. You can listen directly to Jesus. If you're someone who has a hard time with what God is saying to you, or what God's will is for your life, or figuring out what God wants for you, listen, this is literally the words of Jesus, the word of God for you. Listen to what he said right after this parable. These are the words out of his mouth. He said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, about your security. Do not worry about what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear, For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't don't sow, they don't reap, they don't have storehouses, they don't have barns, yet God feeds them. And of how much more value are you than the birds? Just to be clear with what Jesus is saying here, the only thing that you can actually bank on, the only thing you can do to fill in that blank and have it actually work Jesus says it right here. I want to repeat it for you because at least one person in this room needs to hear this like we need air to breathe. Of how much more value are you than the birds? The only thing that you can bank your security on, the only thing that you could hope in, the only reason we have security is because God cares about you. Because God loves you. And that's it. Anything else is a house of cards. Jesus continues, he says, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? If, if then you're not able to do a small thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies. You don't like birds, that's fine. What about flowers? <laughs> How they grow, they don't toil, they don't spin. He means weave, like weave clothes for themselves. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, one of the greatest kings of all of God's people, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not keep striving for what you are to eat or what you are to drink. Do not keep striving for your fill in the blank. And don't keep worrying. For it's the nations of the world, everyone else, that strives for these things. And your father, your father knows that you need them. So instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things, all of these things, will be given to you. God knows. God knows what you need. He knows what keeps you up at night. He knows what causes you anxiety. He knows what drives you to drink. He knows these things, and he promises to give you exactly what you need. He doesn't promise to fill in, to give you what your blank is, but he promises to give you what you need you need. And listen to how Jesus continues it. Remember, this is all because we're afraid. This all built on fear. The next thing that Jesus says out of his mouth, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid because God, it pleases God to give you what you need. The question is, the question is, do you trust him? It is your father's good pleasure to give you everything you need. Do you trust him? We over here, we reach out to these idols to give us life, even though all they do is give us death. And yet we have a God and father who values you infinitely, who loves you, who wants to give you absolutely everything you need. And yet we still settle for the idols that can only give us death. All the while, we have a God who is the author, the giver of life, who holds the power of life and death in his hands, and yet we trade that in for an idol that promises life, but can only give us death. All the while, we have a God who was not content to watch us suffer like this, but came to be one of us, died his death, on the cross, and in doing so, he died your death for you, so you have nothing to fear, and he put death to death, so you have nothing to fear, so that when he was raised from the grave to new life, he conquered death and wants to give you life, and the question that all that Jesus has to say here, the question for you is, do you trust him? That is what faith looks like, trusting him. 1986, 140 West End Avenue. Nightmares, monsters, fears. I will be okay if my mom is in the room. I'll be okay if mom's in the corner of the room. Listen, all that Jesus calls us to with this parable, all of it, is to say to yourself, I'll be okay because Big D Dad is in the room. I'll be okay because my father is in the room. I'll be okay because my father's in my corner I'll be okay because God loves me, because God values me, because God knows exactly what I need. That's what faith looks like. So if you want to break the power of this idol in your life, here's what you need to do. You need to take your blank, and don't throw it away, because you need a savings plan, right? And you need health, and you want your kids to be okay, and you want your uh, spouse not to cheat on you again, right? Of course. But you have to be able to put that blank in its rightful place. And you have to be able to live your life out of the blank that Jesus gives you. Which, however you want to phrase it, all that, all that he said in that, in that parable, in that teaching, if all that's true, then I'll be okay. If, if God actually loves me, then I'll be Okay. If God is who he says he is, then I'll be okay. If the gospel, if the good news of Jesus is true, then I'll be okay. If the cross is actually the death of deaths, then I'll be okay. If the resurrection happened, if Jesus is alive, then I'll be okay. If Jesus is Lord of the world and my Lord, then then I'll be okay. If God is in my corner, if God's in my room, then I'll be okay. That's how you break the power of this idol in your life. However you need to remember that, however you need to phrase that, if you need to write it on your mirror, if you need to have a reminder sent to your phone every day, whatever it is, put that in your in the front of your brain, put it on your heart. But here's the thing. For this to actually be something that changes us from the inside out, we can't do it. Our, we can't make ourselves do it, and I can't make you do it. Only God can write this on your heart so that you live a different life, so that you change, so that you actually put your trust in him rather than those things. So all you could do is ask God to write that truth on your heart in a way that changes the way you see and the way it changes the way your mind works and the way your heart beats and the way your feet go and where you end up and what you hope in. Ask God to change that for you. Today, tomorrow, the next day. Let's start by asking God for that right now. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you are first and foremost in our corner. Life, life can feel like a nightmare. Life can feel like there are monsters out to get us. Life can feel like we're afraid to close our eyes. Help us to trust and believe that you are in our corner and so we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to actually worry about. Help us to listen to you, to believe you, that we don't have to worry. Lord, help us to trust you. Write on each of our hearts the truth that if if what you said is true, if Jesus is Lord, then we'll be okay. Help Help us to think like that, to believe like that, to live like that, to pray like that, to serve like that, to give of ourselves like that. Help us to follow you like that. Focus our eyes again, Lord, even now, on the work that you have done for us on the cross. Let us rely on you and you alone for our safety, for our future, and for our security. Let us sing that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.